following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His graces? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed? Are you washed in the blood? In the blood? In the soul cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin And be washed in the blood of the Lamb There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb Are you washed? Are you washed? In the blood In the blood In the soul cleansing blood of the Lamb Are your garments spotless? Are they white as are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Some glad morning when this life is over I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore I'll fly away Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. It is my desire that you make real progress in your walk with Jesus. But through the years, many years of pastoral ministry, 
my experience has been that many professed Christians live in a miserable state of bondage to sin, to the world, to the flesh, to the devil. This is not the biblical description of how a Christian should live. The Apostle Paul wrote very clearly in Romans, the sixth chapter, Therefore, the sin must not reign in your mortal body to obey it in the lust of it. And you must not yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to the sin. But once and for all, yield yourselves to God as living out from among spiritually dead men and yield your members as instruments of righteousness for God. For sin will not rule over you, because you are not under law, but under grace. I find many, yea, most, who call themselves Christians, under the bondage of the world, the flesh, and the devil. I find them filled with pride and arrogance, hostility, I find them living in legal bondage as described in Romans, the seventh chapter. A life of sinning, of resolving to do better, and then failing again. Now, as I look at this sad state of affairs, what I also find is that most Christians today think this is normal Christian life. And I find people are shocked at the notion that they can have the shackles of sin removed now rather than when they die. It seems shocking to them, arrogant even to them, to suggest that they can be converted from a life of sin to a life of righteousness. Now, here's the problem. Most of those men and women who call themselves Christians, who live under this bondage of sin, have never been truly converted. What do I mean? When a man is converted, he is changed. He is new. He no longer lusts after the things of the world, the flesh, or the devil. His whole attitude has been transformed. It's been changed. He now hates those things. He loathes those things. They hold no attraction for him. His whole heart is now absorbed in Jesus Christ. Now, many pastors, evangelists, and leading Christians have given completely false instruction upon this subject of sin. Now, most often, they're told one of two things. Either 
Just accept the sin you live in and don't worry about it because you're saved. You're part of the family of God. The second thing they're told is take your sin in detail, resolve to abstain from that sin and fight against it with prayer and fasting if necessary until you can overcome that sin. They say, set your will firmly against a relapse into sin. Pray and struggle and resolve that you will not fall. Persist in this until you form a habit of obedience and you break up your sinful habits. That's what I was taught as a child. The picture was that of a rowboat. I'll never forget that image is fixed in my mind. One oar of that rowboat has the words faith, and the other oar in that rowboat had the word works. Now they would they would add in this conflict, you must not depend upon your own strength, but pray for the help of God. So in reality, much of the teaching about how to overcome sin is really sanctification by works, not by faith. And of course, most would say, and you don't have to be sanctified. In fact, you won't be sanctified until you die. So just work at it. And so many churches have seminars and workshops and and sermons all focused around fellowship with God. And they say, if you sin, you're just going to lose some rewards when you go to heaven. But you can overcome your sin if you try, but you can't overcome all sin. So I was with a group of Christian men yesterday at dinner. And I suggested to them that if they are not winning anyone to Jesus, that they are in complete disobedience to God. That Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And then he gave a great commission He did not give a commission to mow the grass at church. He gave a commission to go out and teach the gospel and make disciples of all men. And of course, these men responded by, you know, pastor. Some people have the gift of evangelism, but we don't have that gift. Some said, well, I'm sure I've brought somebody to Jesus. I'm I talked to people about Jesus. I said, but wait, does that person come and make a commitment to Jesus Christ? And has he been built into the body of Christ? Salvation is in the body of Christ. I mean, what would you think as we sit at this table eating if you see a hand floating across the room? You would be quite startled, wouldn't you? Well, the hand belongs on the body, and the body of Christ is the church. Now, some of you are attached to a dead body. The church you're in has died a long time ago, and now it's just a social forum. It's an entertainment place. There's no lamp of the Holy Spirit in that house. And so you're connected to a dead body. Now, if you're connected to a dead body, that probably means you're probably dead also. 
I don't want you to be dead. I want you to be alive in Jesus. And I come day by day on this broadcast to call you to life, to resurrection power. I want you to walk in Jesus. I want you to have victory. Well, let's look at it realistically. An overt act of sin is simply rebellion against Jesus. And if you resolve to fight against this sin, it literally fastens your attention on that sin. And it totally diverts your attention from Jesus. Now in Romans, the sixth chapter, after he says, sin will not rule over you because you are not under law but under grace, some of you immediately hear that and say, grace is the covering blanket and I'm saved and when Jesus looks at me, doesn't see me. Well, if you read this whole context, you'll see that that's a totally false teaching. But verse 15, what then? Shall we sin even once hereafter? because we're not under law, but under grace? And Paul says, no. And the Greek formation is a terrible, strong, no, certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you yield yourselves as servants to obey, you are servants to whom you obey, whether to sin in death or of obedience in righteousness? So the scriptural understanding is that you're going to yield yourself to someone or to something. And yielding yourself to sin will take you to hell. Yielding yourself to Jesus will take you to righteousness. Or, dikasune, literally meaning made righteous or innocent. Verse 17 But thanks be to God, because you used to be servants of sin. But you obeyed out from the heart a standard of teaching under which you were delivered. And having been freed from sin, you were made servants with reference to innocence or righteousness. See, verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of grace from God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace, according to Titus, simply teaches us to say no to ungodliness, to unrighteousness. So I guess my question to you today, is there a hunger in your heart to be completely free of unrighteousness? Has God been doing that work in your heart? Or are you sound asleep, dead, and the stench of wickedness and sin in your heart? You know, I've noticed something. I love kayaking. I love all things on the water. I love sailing. I love blue water sailing. Some of the most pleasant memories I have are open ocean sailing along the East Coast or to uh, Bermuda. It's incredible to wake up in the morning 
the rocking of the boat, the speed of the boat, go up on deck and have breakfast, take your turn at the tiller, see the flying fish that leap out of the water and fly into the boat, and you have to pick them up and throw them back overboard. The beautiful sunrise, stopping the boat out there in the middle of that vast ocean, having one person remain on board and all the rest dive overboard for a morning swim. It's an amazing sense to be in the ocean with no land in view and no ship except your little sailboat in view. It's little, it was a 44-foot Choli, beautiful teak desk, deck. Well, you know what? If I, if I focus on sailing or if I focus on kayaking, I can tell you what will happen. I'll begin to go to the store and look for sailing magazines. And then I'm going to drool over the beautiful pictures of a sailboat that I would like to own. And then I'm going to find friends who have a boat. And I'm going to focus on getting on board that boat as a, as a crew hand and doing blue water sailing. Or if my focus is kayaking, I'm going to focus my whole attention. And you know what? My love for kayaking or my love for sailing or my love for biking, my love for soccer, whatever it is that I fasten my attention on, feelings begin to emerge in my heart that call me more and more into that sport. I used to be a rabid fan of the Washington Redskins. I used to hold big parties at my house, and I would go to other people's homes where we would have big parties for the, for the games. The rule was no one could speak while the game was on. You only could speak if you were during the commercials. If you spoke during the game, everyone would shut you up and say, if you, don't want to talk, if you want to talk, get out, go. We don't want you to do this. Well, the more I focused on football, the more I loved it. I began to learn who the players were, and I began to follow them, and I began to know what their stats were. I loved the Baltimore Orioles as well used to go to the Orioles game. I love their ballpark. Cal Ripken. It was a great privilege to be able to meet him, to meet his brother. Amazing. It changes the whole social fabric of your life because now you're with baseball people or now you're with sailing people or now you're with kayaking people or now you're with biking people. And it captures your heart. What you focus your attention on will become more and more dear to you. And the love sense will grow. And when you take your attention away from that thing, 
you will have a sense of withdrawal, urgency. I need to go back. There's an empty hole in my heart. It's been a long time since I followed the Redskins. I don't know who the coach is. I don't know who the players are. Frankly, I don't want to know. I don't care. I've heard from some people I've tried to witness to that the Steelers are a pretty spectacular team. I don't even know who the coach is. I don't know when they play. Why? Because I have no love for that. I don't focus my attention on it. Where we focus our attention will captivate our heart. Now, we need to look at this. Is your attention fixed on Jesus Christ? And I can tell you today, my entire life attention, like a laser beam, is focused on Jesus Christ. He is my present joy and delight. He is my past Savior and my present Savior and my future Savior. If I am so blessed as to be able to go and join him in that heavenly realm, there will never be a day in eternity that I do not want to dwell in Jesus Christ and have him dwell in me. After I've been in heaven for a million years, I will need him as much then as I need him today. because he is the object of my greatest love and concern. There is no one like Jesus. There is no one like Jesus. Now, if you have dealt with your sin by either casually brushing it aside until you, frankly, don't even know what your sin is, you've seared your mind and your heart so that you can sit down and watch the movie, you can sit down and watch the football game, you can sit down and enjoy everything of the world, the flesh and the devil, and you have no guilty conscience. You think it's just fine. You have a seared mind. You have a mind that cannot comprehend the beauty of Jesus. And if you call yourself a Christian, you are probably just religious, but not a Christian. Or if you have been resolving and fighting against sin, and your focus has been on that sin, whether it be alcohol or fornication or anger, temper, bitterness, whatever the sin might manifest itself as in your life, your focus has been taken off of Jesus. Now, let me say this very plainly to you. 
all such efforts of dealing with sin are utterly useless and not infrequently will actually result in you being utterly deceived. 1st because you're actually losing sight of what really constitutes sin. And second, it's overlooking the only practical way to overcome it. In this way, the outward act or habit may be overcome and avoided, but that which really constitutes the sin is left untouched. You see, sin is not something we do only on the outside, but it's manifest on the outside from something that is inside. Our hands don't make us sin. No, our mind volunteers our hands and our feet and our mouth to sin against others and against God. It's not involuntary. It's not just a, an involuntary feeling or desire. To be sin, it must be a voluntary decision of your mind. Sin is nothing more than a voluntary, ultimate preference or state of commitment to pleasing ourselves, to outward actions, to purposes, to intentions. And from that will proceed sin, actions. So what we resolve ourselves to never do again until the next time is an attempt to suppress the sinful nature from forming holy habits. But Scripture says love is the fulfillment of the law. Can you create love? Can you produce love by making a resolution? Do we remove selfishness from our heart by resolution? No, of course not. We can suppress it. We can hide it. We can remove the outward manifestation of selfishness by resolving not to do this or that. And we can pray and we can struggle against it. We can resolve upon an outward form of obedience and work ourselves up to the letter of obedience to God's commandments. The Apostle Paul did that as a Jewish scholar. He said he was perfect according to the outward law. But you cannot remove selfishness from your heart by making a resolution to remove it. The effort to obey the commandments of God, the attempt to love as the law of God requires by force of resolution, is always a failure. What do I mean by resolution? I mean, okay, I've done it again. I'm done with it. 
I'll never do it again. I've talked with both men and women who are always struggling with sin, like masturbation. They don't see any way around it, but they always feel so dirty and so guilty after the act of sexual abuse. And it is sexual abuse. It's self-love. They always feel so guilty, and they and they pray, and they say, Oh, God, don't let me do this again. I've got to gain the victory. I don't want to feel this way in my heart. And they think that remorse is repentance. If remorse were repentance, hell would be full of repentance. For surely there is much remorse in hell, weeping and gnashing of teeth and groaning. Remorse is not repentance. Come on. Think. Be real. You sin until the next time, and your resolution has no power to stop you. Now, you can say that sin is in the desire. Well, can you control a desire by bodily punishment? Well, we may abstain from the gratification of a particular desire by the force of resolution. We may go even further and abstain from that gratification or desire in the outward life. But this doesn't produce the love of God, which is what obedience is all about. I mean, if if you were to become a hermit and lock yourself in a cell and crucify all of your outward desires, crucify your appetite so far as their indulgence is concerned, Well, aren't you still going to be sinning inside? The true root of your sin is not touched. Our resolution has not produced love. And love is the only real obedience to God. I mean, if I say, look, I need to stop eating ice cream every night. And so I go and buy um, Haagen-Dazs, chunky chocolate cherry ice cream, put it in my freezer. Can I force myself not to eat that ice cream? Yes, of course I can. When the Lord told me to stop watching television, I turned the television off and I sat in the living room looking at that television with great longing in my heart because it was my drug of choice. I wanted to watch it, but Jesus said, stop it, don't watch it. So I turned it off in obedience, but my heart was not in obedience. All our battling with sin in the outward life 
by the form of our willpower only ends in making us whited graves, whited sepulchers, as Jesus said. So we force an outward righteousness, but inward we're full of dead men's bones. We're filthy. All our battling with desire by the force of willpower is really of no avail. You can go to all the workshops you want to go to and learn all the strategies for overcoming sin so you can have fellowship with God. (laughs) That's not how you're going to get fellowship with God. You can suppress sin in your outward life, but it will end up in a delusion. You cannot force love by resolution. All such efforts to overcome your sin are going to be utterly futile, as well as being completely unscriptural. The Bible very clearly teaches us that sin can be overcome in only one way, and that is by faith in Jesus Christ. Quote, he has made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Christians are said to purify their hearts by faith, Acts 15.9. And in Acts 26, verse 18, says the saints are sanctified by faith in Jesus Christ. In Romans 9, 31 and 32, it's affirmed that the Jews attained not to righteousness because they sought it not by faith, but as it were, they sought it by works of the law. The doctrine of the Bible is that Jesus Christ saves his people from sin through faith. That Christ's spirit is received <coughs> pardon me, by faith. It is faith that works by love. Love is brought about and sustained by faith. By faith, Christians overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. It is by faith that they quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. It is by faith that they put on the Lord Jesus Christ and put off the old man and his deeds. It's by faith in Jesus. It is by faith that we fight the good fight, not by resolution, not by trying hard. Scripture says, this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. It is by faith that flesh is kept under and carnal desires subdued, I would say, removed utterly. It is by faith 
that we receive the Spirit of Jesus Christ to work in us. He sheds abroad his love in our heart, and he fires up our love for him. Every victory over sin is by faith in Jesus. Whether the mind is diverted, wherever the mind is diverted from Jesus Christ, by resolving and fighting against sin, whether we're aware of it or not, we are acting in our own strength. We are rejecting the help of Jesus and are under a foolish delusion. Nothing but the life and energy of the Spirit of Christ within can save us from sin. This is the teaching of Scripture. Self-righteousness and self-dependence, that's the American way. It is so deeply wrought into our hearts that if you want to be a Christian, the hardest lesson, <clears throat> the hardest lesson is to utterly renounce self-dependence and trust wholly in Jesus. Now, if I were to say to you, you must give your heart to Jesus, many of you would say, I don't know what you're talking about. How do I give my heart to Jesus? Well, if I were to say to you, that woman that you're with, that you're holding hands with and you're kissing, have you given her your heart? Oh, yes. She's going to be my wife. You gave her your heart. How'd you do it? Well, I don't know. I just, I just said, you're the one for me. I just, gave her all of my affection I gave her my loyalty I gave her a commitment that she's the one I love well then what's so hard about doing that with Jesus you give your heart to Jesus by giving him all of your affections You overcome sin by giving your affections to Jesus and not to the things of the world, the flesh, or the devil. I can give my affections to sailing. I can give my affections to kayaking. I can give my affections to biking. I can give my affections to the football game or the baseball game. It won't profit me. All of my affection must be given to Jesus Christ. You see, what you look at is what you grow to love and cherish. You can only overcome sin by giving your affection to Jesus and letting Jesus give his affection to you. That's how a man or woman overcomes sin. 
when we open the door of our heart and we say to Jesus, I'm going to give all of my love to you, Jesus. I'm going to give to you all of my affections. He comes and he enters in and he takes up a a residence within us. And he sheds abroad in our heart his love. He quickens our whole soul with sympathy with himself. And we're no longer alone. He purifies our hearts through faith. He sustains our will in the attitude of devotion. He quickens and regulates all of our affections and desires and appetites and passions. He becomes our sanctification. You see, if if you focus on trying to overcome your sin you're not focusing on the only one who truly loves you and who can make you into a new creature now I testify today there were many things I used to love dearly some were good and some were evil I no longer have those affections For many years, I bought a brand new Mercedes-Benz every year. At the end of the year, I would sell it and I would purchase the next year's product. I loved the Mercedes-Benz. Well, today, I don't drive a Mercedes-Benz. I drive a 1996 Toyota Camry, 100,000 miles on it. Why? I no longer love automobiles I love Jesus I need an automobile to transfer me from point A to point B so I can witness for Jesus Christ he's the love of my heart now would it be wrong for me to ride in a much nicer car no if Jesus gave me a much nicer car I'd say thank you and I'd ride in that but I would not have the love and the lust for that next new automobile It's gone. It's not in my heart anymore. And there are many other similar things in my heart. I don't lust after ice cream every night anymore. We could put a a gallon of Haagen-Dazs ice cream in my freezer, and a month later it would probably still be untouched unless I had visitors who went after it. I, I... The lust for that ice cream is gone. It used to satisfy me. It used to soothe my my heart. Well, food doesn't soothe my heart anymore. Jesus does. I don't have that lust anymore. There's no drawing of my heart toward it. If I were offered a an open sea sail with friends would I go if I had the time and I needed the rest and Jesus said go I'd go but I would not look at it the way I used to look at it I used to love taking a a 55 foot out and sailing the bay in a Morgan a center cockpit that was the height of my life 
Well, today, I would enjoy sailing, Morgan. But there's no lust in my heart to do so. Why? Because all of my affections have been given to Jesus. And he changed me. He took away from me all of those lusts for the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's simply gone. I don't want it anymore. I want Jesus, and I want souls saved for Jesus. You know, I listen to Christians talk, and I listen to some Christian radio until I can't stand it anymore, and I want to scream. Drives me crazy because it's so wrong and leading so many people into a delusion and it's directing them in such a way that they become passive and dead you cannot be saved without our own activity the bible teaches that by trusting in jesus christ we receive the inward power that stimulates and directs our activity, that by faith we receive his purifying influence into the very center of our being. It's like a radioactive morsel is planted in us. And it begins to beam through our whole body and it transforms us into a new creature. He reveals his truth now directly to your soul as you read the scriptures and as you pray. He quickens our whole inward being into the attitude of a loving, obedient son or daughter. This is the only practical way to overcome sin. The very root of sin must be removed from our hearts. And that root of sin is removed by Jesus through his blood. As we focus our whole attention upon Jesus. Some of you think that by reading the scriptures a few minutes in the morning, shooting some quick prayers at heaven and then going about your day, that that's going to make your day work for you. Well, yeah, it may work a little bit better, but not much better. No, when you go to work, you have to focus at work on Jesus Christ. And in focusing on Jesus, you're there to do your work with excellence. And Jesus will flow through you like he did through Daniel in the court of Darius. Well, you may say to me, O pastor... Doesn't the Apostle Paul exhort us in Philippians to work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Yes. The second chapter of Philippians, verse 12, Paul says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God that worketh in you both the will and to do his good pleasure. Now there's no teaching in Philippians 
that you should work out your salvation by struggling against sin. It's all by the power of God, for it is God that worketh in you. Sin is overcome by the inworking of God as we keep our attention on Jesus. What do I mean, keep our attention on Jesus? Let me be very plain what I mean. I mean that you look at the scriptures in the gospels and in the teachings of the apostles and Jesus Christ is revealed there. So you eat, you live, you sleep the scriptures. Secondly, the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells in you and he reveals truths to your heart about Jesus. The Holy Spirit did not come to reveal himself. Jesus was on the earth for only three short years. The Holy Spirit has been here for 2,000 years. But we know a great deal more about Jesus than we do about the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit didn't come to teach about the Holy Spirit. He came to teach about Jesus. So Paul taught them that it was God working in them. And this is precisely what I'm teaching you today. Jesus Christ is the very heart of our victory over sin and darkness. There is a divine and human cooperation that goes on for your victory over sin. Faith is active. It is doing what the Holy Spirit calls you to do. And the devil will always come and say, wait, 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 wait. Try harder. Suffer more. No, faith is active. It moves. So I come today urging you to allow your attention to be fixed on Jesus. If your attention is fixed on your hurt feelings, if your attention is fixed on your sexual sin, if your if your attention is focused on your on your anger, on stealing, lying, if your attention is focused on football or baseball, Remember, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If your attention is anywhere but on Jesus Christ, you are in a snare of death. You cannot live a holy life by fixing your eyes on anything or anyone except Jesus Christ. Now I bear witness to you today. The most joyous part of my day is when I wake up in the morning and my soul is immediately lifted up to Jesus in worship before I'm even out of bed. Songs of praise began to come from my heart and from my mouth. I'm looking. I've missed him all night. I'm eager to be in his presence. And he begins to direct my thoughts and my activities for the day. 
He begins to focus me on what I should be presenting to you. Oh, yes, I prayed about it much before I woke up this morning. But this morning he began to sharpen it. Sin is not overcome by trying hard. Sin is overcome by faith in Jesus Christ and his shed blood. Now, we're out of time today. I want to just give you some information, please. You can follow us, Pilgrim's Progress, on Facebook. Just go to National Prayer Chapel on Facebook. You can also follow on Twitter, National Prayer Chapel Twitter. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. There you'll find uh, broadcasts, podcasts. You'll also find there a button for Donate. And you're welcome to give that way to support this broadcast. I also invite you to come to the National Prayer Chapel. We meet at the All Saints Anglican Church. The address is 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. I go to the post office every day looking for your letters and looking for the offerings that you send to cover the cost of this broadcast it's the national prayer chapel post office box 2346 woodbridge virginia 22195 i hope this broadcast has helped focus your attention on jesus god bless you i'm ray greenley i'll talk to you soon Jesus Christ